welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So we're going to be beginning our summer teaching series this morning called Patterns, and it's based in Romans 12, and together with Ben Barnhart, our community life pastor and the teaching team, we value the diversity of voice at Vineyard Cleveland, so we don't believe it's uh, just about the the guy, the man in the middle, um, but it, we are best together when we learn from one another. If we can learn uh, if, if we can only learn from the guy in the middle or the big podcast guy at the mega church, something is drastically wrong with our discipleship journey. We are to learn from our brother, from our sister uh, sitting next to us. That is what real discipleship looks like. Um, and so we value the diversity of voice. You're going to be hearing conversations from different folks in the teaching team throughout the summer. And we've built the series to summer is more of a, a relational kind of time uh, normally. And so these teachings, these talks will be able to stand alone on their own, but also there will be a thread from week to week. Did you get little pieces of tissue paper on your way in? Okay. However, they're meant to stand on their own this week, but I'd like for you, if you would indulge me, to take the tissue paper and use it as a bookmark for Romans 12, and just let it hang there until you can't, Dave says, I can't get it in my phone. (laughs) For those of you, no, you cannot. Uh, And we'll have more next Sunday, but kind of keep it there in Romans 12 as a bookmark and a little bit of mystery for what's coming next week, but that will become important next week as the series is called Patterns that'll sort of unfold before us. And what we're getting at, what is Patterns all about? Um, Also, if you'll notice as well, another resource for you, if you grab your bulletin on the back. Jason Torrance, who is playing drums lovely this morning, wasn't he, Um, has done a week-by-week devotional to follow up with the teachings every Sunday. So he's um, super gifted at leading discussions and uh, writing devotionals, and he's been providing those resources for all of us for each week following the Sunday. So that's yours to keep as well as a resource. And... um, I want to encourage you to invite Jesus into those times to truly follow along and to engage with the chapter of uh, chapter 12 in Romans and to follow along and, and, uh, and grow, that we're to grow as disciples in Jesus. And that's what this series is all about. So it's called Patterns, and we're calling it a spiritual formation um, series. Uh, and... You may be sitting there familiar with what spiritual formation is or spiritual apprenticeship. We call it apprenticeship of Jesus. And so I wanted to define that for us first as we move into the talk. Dallas Willard, who's a uh, very uh, well-known author um, in our day and age, says this is what spiritual formation is. Spiritual formation is the process through which those who love and trust Jesus Christ effectively take on his character, living our lives if he were living, if he were in our place. I just love that. I love that definition of what spiritual formation 
means. Effectively taking on the character of Jesus and living as if he were living in our place. And we believe that we have a blueprint for that. And not only the 12th chapter of Romans, but really the whole entire book of Romans. Um, So what I wanted to do to start off is read our verse for today, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And I wanted to read it to us in three different translations that I found were encouraging this week. And then I wanted to spend five minutes together in silence. We find that God speaks to us in times of silence and solitude. And so I'm going to read these to us. You don't really have to do anything. The words are on the screen. Uh, Just receive the word of God this morning. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers and sisters, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. This is God's word to us this morning. Let's take five minutes, and I encourage you in this time of silence to invite the Holy Spirit, invite God in what he's speaking to you. What is he speaking to you in this verse? Let's pray. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Father, I pray that you would shape us today. That you would speak to each and every person here. We welcomed you with our worship. We pray, Father, let let your will be done. What you want to accomplish here this morning We wait for you, and God, sometimes silence can be awkward, and sometimes it can be just such a miracle in our lives. So we're thankful for this quiet moment. We're thankful in the the midst of a busy week or a busy month or a busy life, God, that you've given us the gift of this quiet moment with you. I pray, Father, that you would... 
um, speak through me today? Would you put power on your word and allow me to say something that's relevant to where people are, are living? And We love your presence, Jesus. We love your presence. Amen. Yeah, sometimes silence can be awkward for some of us, and sometimes it can be just such a miracle, right? Some of us are like, oh my gosh, is it up yet? Is it up yet? I can't wait till this is up. And others of us are like, no, don't stop. Don't let it end. But it's just such a gift from God. You know, it's, it seems like such a simple thing, but silence truly in our, in our age, in our culture of everyone being right here, right here and busy, busy, silence is a gift from God. And you can expect that Uh, God will move this way in his church across the globe in the coming years. As life becomes more hurried and more busy, we believe the next move of God is, a lot of it is based in silence and solitude and the practice of hearing his voice in quiet places. It's true that the the culture is busy. And when we come to a chapter like Romans 12, which is all about juxtapositions. How are we different as followers of Jesus than the culture in which we find ourselves? It has to do with our actions, what we do. Those values that we've been talking about for the past five or six weeks, how we act on those beliefs that we carry in our heads, in our our hearts. But I love what Paul writes first, he says, therefore, and I'm tempted to think that that word therefore is the most powerful, important, significant word in the whole entire verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, and what Paul is trying to say is, he's trying to say, hey guys, hey listen, before you can live any of this stuff out, It's not even possible without seeing God's mercy in your life first. It's impossible to offer ourselves any part of it without seeing the mercy of God in the cross and in the gifts that he gives us as people. What do I mean by that? I mean that it's religion and it's legalism to try and offer our bodies as living sacrifices without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible, y'all. The Christian life, to give of ourselves, to learn what it means to follow Jesus, is impossible without the power of Jesus Christ. I don't know. Maybe it's easy for you. Have you tried doing it in your own strength and succeeded? No, you have not. Because it's impossible. So Paul says, therefore, see the mercy of God. I love the Passion Translation, which we read from first in that list of three um, different translations, where he says, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God. Jesus wants our eyes to be wide open to the mercy that he's poured into our lives. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. And for context, 
What comes before offering our bodies as living sacrifices? Well, if we just look a chapter before, the whole of Romans is all about the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, what the cross means. Who are we in light of the cross? And what we read right before Romans chapter 12 is in Romans chapter 11, and we read this. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him for from him and through him and for him are all things? To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, in view of all of this, that in him are all things and for him are all things, therefore, I urge you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So living sacrificially in a self-centered culture begins with the mercies of God. And we become living sacrifices how? A, A few points. The first point is we become a living sacrifice by living urgently. We become a living sacrifice by living urgently. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I beseech you, I plead with you. Paul is leveling with us here. He's not coming from a hierarchical apostle type of kind of language, speaking down to the church at Rome. He's saying, I'm leveling with you here. Brothers and sisters, I urge you. I'm with you in this. I urge you in light of all of the mercies in your lives to become a living sacrifice. Self-centered culture lives urgently towards itself, but living sacrificially lives urgently towards God and towards others. Paul urges us as a brother to become living sacrifices. And it's true, our culture is self-centered, isn't it? In data from nearly, collected from nearly 37,000 college students, Narcissistic personality traits rose just as fast as obesity in America from the 1980s to the present, with the shift especially pronounced for women. In 2006, one out of every four college students agreed with the majority of the items on a standard measure of narcissistic traits, one out of every four. Narcissistic personality disorder, or MPD, The more severe, clinically diagnosed version of the trait is also far more common than we once thought. Nearly one out of every 10 Americans in their 20s and one out of every 16 Americans, those of all ages, has experienced the symptoms of NPD or Narcissistic Personality Disorder. There's a wonderful book. It's called The Narcissism Epidemic. It's written by Gene Twenge and W. Keith Campbell. And they lay out for us where the culture is focused. Here's what they said. Listen to this. 
Americans' culture's focus on self-admiration has caused a flight from reality to the land of grandiose fantasy. They're saying, wake up. We're living in a fantasy world. America is a fantasy world right now. They say, we have phony rich people with interest-only mortgages and piles of debt. Phony beauty with plastic surgery and cosmetic procedures. Phony athletes with performance-enhancing drugs. Phony celebrities with reality TV and YouTube. Phony genius students with grade inflation. A phony national economy with $11 trillion of government debt. Phony feelings of being special among children with parenting and education focused on self-esteem. And phony friends with the social networking explosion. All this fantasy might feel good, but unfortunately, reality always wins. The mortgage meltdown and the resulting financial crisis are just one demonstration of how inflated desires eventually crash to earth. We live in a fake society, in a self-centered culture. However, with that being said, there are many... I'm not here to poo-poo on the culture. As you know, God loves culture. And God thinks that culture is worth redeeming. So I'm not here to teach you the tired message that's been preached from pulpits all over America that our culture is going to hell in a handbasket. I do not believe that. I believe that God is redeeming culture. He's just saying, hey guys, It's a little bit misdirected. Culture is not supposed to come from Apple and Steve Jobs. Culture is supposed to come from the church and believers like you and me. We're supposed to be shifting culture, creating culture, bringing the culture of heaven to earth in uh, creative business solutions, in the judicial system, in the educational system, in the athletic world, in the creative arts, all over. Christians should be followers of Jesus, regardless of your political persuasion, should be expressing the kingdom in such a way that's leading the culture. God? Are you saying we should be leading the culture? Yes, he is. Okay, so we got that. Church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the world. That's the way that God, the world is peripheral to the church. That's the way that God has set it up. That's, the, that's God's heart. That you and I, followers of Jesus, should be leading out in culture, bringing, bringing heavenly solution to earthly problems. Okay, so we're, we're straight there. Culture's not going to hell in a handbasket. Okay? There's something redeemable that God sees precious because culture's made up of people, the way people do things, the way people are, and God loves people. Every single person. And every single person, there's something redeemable about who that person is that God truly loves eternally and infinitely. Adores every single person and is already, regardless of what we think, is already working in their story to draw them closer to him. We may think that someone's far from God, but they're closer than we are to finding God. Because God's at work in every person's story on the globe. 
And so in that, Paul is saying, live differently because the hour is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. So I urge you, I urge you, I plead with you, live your lives, give yourselves, offer your bodies as living sacrifices because it's worth it. Because American culture does not live urgently. There's nothing urgent about our culture at all, only hurried. It's only hurried, it's not urgent. If we truly live urgent lives as living sacrifices, think of how our communities would change. Think of how we would change. Think of how our communities would change, our families, the, um, the structures that we find ourselves in, the systems. Think of how that would change if we lived our lives as followers of Jesus who live urgently. I urge you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Yeah, to actually live like we believe this stuff is true. That's what Paul is saying, really. To actually live like we believe this stuff is true. Secondly, to become a living sacrifice is to give unreservedly. To give unreservedly. To hold nothing back. To say yes to him in all things. When someone comes to Jesus, when I have the honor and the privilege to lead somebody to Jesus, the, one of the first things I will say that, to them, to that person, is just say yes to Jesus in everything. And keep on saying yes. Like, don't ever say no to Jesus. Like, just keep on saying yes. That'll keep you out of the trap of religion and into the life-giving narrow path, just keep on saying yes to Jesus. Keep on, and we'll get to that in a minute. Keep on getting on that altar, man. Every morning, preach the gospel to yourself as if you've never heard it before. Say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. Give yourself unreservedly. Paul is saying, in view of God's mercies, this word in Greek is a plural word. It's a grace gift. There's so much entitlement in our society. God does not owe us anything. Paul is saying, get back up on the altar. Living sacrifices to offer ourselves, to give unreservedly. Paul is reminding us to get back on the altar. Whenever you start feeling depressed, whenever you start feeling anxious or worried or that sense of self-pity, your old friend self-pity starts poking his head around the corner again, just remember what Paul says in Romans. Get back on the altar. Because God, as Oswald Chambers said, God cannot bless us until he has us. God wants all of us. But the problem is when we're stingy with ourselves and we hold back. We hold back pieces of our, oh, we're so compartmentalized, aren't we? In America, we've got our sex life over here. We've got our money life over here. Here's church life way over here. Here's our friend's life. Here's our family life. And God is saying, I don't want grapefruit Christianity. I want all of you. All of you. There's an old Dutch theologian who said there isn't one square inch on the planet. And that includes your body, Paul is saying. There isn't one square inch on the planet where Jesus doesn't claim mine. 
mine. He wants all of us to give unreservedly. Offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And that comes mainly through gratefulness. Through him cultivating a grateful heart. An attitude of gratitude. Oh my gosh. Did I just say attitude of gratitude? My gosh. I can't believe it. Somewhere my fourth grade teacher is super duper happy. attitude of gratitude. Oh, cliches. Okay. Um, Everything is a gift. And that, you know, giving ourselves unreservedly starts with saying thank you. Just start with saying thank you. Thank you. In view of God's mercies, thank you, God. Living sacrifices allow, have allowed and continue to allow Jesus to shape them into grateful people. Meaning God does not owe you anything. The whole call of the cross, the death, the resurrection of Jesus is to get up on that altar and stay there. That's the problem. The staying there is really the problem, isn't it? When Paul talks about living sacrifices, you do realize that this is a a confusing picture. Because sacrifices are supposed to die. You get that, right? (laughs) Sacrifices are supposed to die. And Paul is saying, no. Not like you. You are called to get up on the altar and then do it again tomorrow morning. Oh, joy. That sounds like fun. But this is what Paul is saying. This is what it means to follow Jesus, is to get up on the altar and do it again. The scriptures say that Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Now, this is a picture that's kind of lost on us in our kind of like urban setting and industrialized culture. But if you've ever seen a lamb that's led to slaughter as compared to a goat, that's led to slaughter, like the goat knows that it's going to get slaughtered. And so it will fight. It will not be led. It will, it will bleat. Do goats bleat? What do they do? Lambs bleat. Goats, what do they do? They, no, that's horses. They will make all kinds of noises and they won't go up that hill. But lambs are led because they just go along happy, happy, happy. And they don't, They don't know any better, truly. And the scriptures say, this is our model for Christian living. There's some encouragement for you. Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. So no one's forcing you. Jesus willingly laid down his life. He wasn't a victim. He willingly laid it down. He chose to go to the cross. And he's our model. And Paul is saying to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The altar is a place of death. It's a place of blood. It's a place of hard stone. It's difficult to get back up on that altar. And what Paul is saying in this phrase, living sacrifices, is that he's saying, he's saying hey, I know it's difficult. I know it's tough what you're going through right now. But he's encouraging us, like, it's going to be worth it. 
Even though the culture might tell you that it's not going to be worth it. All of the little sacrifices you make for other people, for God, it's not going to be worth it. But what Paul is saying is that one day it'll be worth it. If you don't see it now, hold on. Hang in there. Picture me kicking your butt, saying, get back up there on the altar. Let's get back up there. Kicking my own butt. Get back up on the altar. Because it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Yeah, and it's just difficult because you, you and I, we have to choose to get up there. We have to say yes to Jesus and get up on that altar. And we don't want to do that. We'd rather not be living sacrifices today. We'd rather sleep in. We'd rather binge Netflix. We'd rather overeat. We'd rather indulge in sexual immorality. We'd rather do all kinds of things that feel so much better than getting up on the altar. It's the last thing we want to choose to do. But Paul is saying, hey, hang in there. It's going to be worth it. Get back on that altar. It's a wonderful story I wanted to tell you about this women's group in Kentucky. And this group, uh, this women's group, this Bible study got together and they were studying Malachi. In the third chapter of Malachi, Evan, if you wanted to throw it up there, we read this in Malachi 3, 2 through 4. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. Such a powerful picture of who the Lord is. Malachi tells us that the Lord sits as a refiner. This group of uh, women in Kentucky, they were studying, going through the whole book of Malachi. And there was one woman in particular who was in this women's group who thought, you know, I want to experience this. What does this mean that the Lord sits as a refiner? And so what she did is that she looked up a local silversmith. They still exist, maybe only in places like Kentucky, but they still exist. She looked him up. And she went and she called him and she said, hey, can I sit in on like when you melt down and refine the silver? And he said, sure, come on by. So the woman came to the silversmith and she watched as the silversmith sat and refined the silver, burning off, right? Melting the silver down, burning off all of the impurities, all of the dross that's on the uh, raw uh, product of the silver, And she looks at her watch and she says, my goodness, this is taking a while. Pause. My goodness, this is taking a while. And she asked the silversmith, she said, she she asked him, do you really have to sit there the whole time? Like, how long is this going to last? And he said, yes, ma'am. I have to sit here. I have to sit here and watch the refinement process happen to make sure that the fire is not too hot. That it would damage the silver. 
I have to sit and watch as the silver is refined to make sure that the final product is not damaged, that the silver is not hurt in any way. And the woman, she said, wow, that's a, that's a deep spiritual analogy, analogy. And she felt good about her experience with the silversmith. And she began to, to walk out feeling good about the care of the father in her life. Gosh, the, the Lord's never going to turn the heat up too hot that I would be damaged in my life. He cares for me during the refinement process, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's tough that the Lord cares for me. He sees for me. He's watching like a silversmith sits and watches through the long process of retirement. She was feeling really good about her journey. She felt like she had connected with something of the, of the Lord's heart. And as she was walking out, the silversmith said, excuse me, I have one more thing I wanted to share with you about the refinement process. And the reason that I wait so long to make sure that the silver, all of the impurities and all the dross is is burned off of that. I I, I know that I'm finished. I know that the work on the silver is complete when I can see, look at the silver and see my own image in the piece. So Paul is saying to give unreservedly, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices in the refinement process of spiritual formation, of following, of really following Jesus. Not just saying a prayer, not just, not just throwing one up once in a while, but really following Jesus. Not just, um, not just thinking about the Lord from time to time, but following him with your actions. When, when you love people by helping them move because they, they can't do anything back for you, they can't love you back, but you just follow Jesus because you love him. When you walk left foot, yes to Jesus, right foot, yes to Jesus. When you just follow Jesus, sometimes that's going to hurt. Sometimes that's going to be painful. It's painful to be a living sacrifice. But God is so committed to you as a person. The Father loves you. The Father adores you, cherishes you. Even in the pain, he's still not finished. He's working on you until he can see his reflection in your life. That's a powerful picture. That's a powerful commitment that the Father makes straight to each one of us. Why? Why? Why does he do this? Well, Paul tells us that this is our spiritual act of worship or of service. Worship, as you know, as we have hoped to uh, model here at Vineyard, is more than about Sunday morning. We're blessed with wonderful, gifted, integrity-filled musicians here at our church. But worship, and our musicians know this at, at our church, that this stage has very little to do with worship. Like Five percent. Yes, songs are important and the Lord sings over us and gives us songs and delights in us. But worship, true and proper worship has more to do with your nine to five, Monday to Friday, than it does just two hours here on a Sunday. And Paul says, 
This is our reasonable, our spiritual act of worship. This is what it means to be all in. In view of God's mercy, the resurrection, that this is worth everything. Jesus is worth everything. To live urgently, to give unreservedly, all to Jesus. He's saying, this is your reasonable, the Greek word is logiken. You're where we get our word logic from. This, in view of all this, it makes sense to give everything, to be all in. Jesus is worth everything. The resurrection in you is worth everything. And it results in worship. In worship. As we give our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, Offering our bodies, he's talking about fingers and toes, not just some vague idea. As we offer our fingers, our fingernails, our toes, our eyelashes, as we offer our bodies, our heartbeats to Jesus, this becomes worship to him. Worship, worship. Worship to him. And so we can sing as Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, wrote. Were the whole realm of nature mine. If everything was given to you, that could be given to you in this world, were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be an offering far too small. Love so amazing. Here's what you get. You get Jesus. Love so amazing. So divine. Demands. It's so amazing. That this love demands my soul, my life, my all. Everything. It's worth everything. Like Jesus said in the parable of the pearl. Get it. Whatever you have to do, get the pearl of great price. Get the kingdom. Get this. This morning, if you take away anything, take away this. Get the love of Jesus. And get back up on the altar because it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it, y'all. That's worship. That's true. That's proper. And that's where we can live sacrificially in a self-centered culture. Why don't you join me in standing?